And welcome back inside the home office. I'm Craig D'Amico, and this is NEC Women's Basketball on the Run, a very special edition of NEC Women's Basketball on the Run. That's right. You got a special Super Bowl edition, special Valentine's Day edition, special two-thirds of the way through conference play edition, very special, a ton going on, and a ton to talk about here this week. Coming up on today's show, we will recap week six of NEC Women's Basketball action. We will give you the up-to-date Playoff picture will crown the top three stars. Look ahead to a Valentine's Day weekend slate where there will certainly be no love lost as the race for the 2022 NEC Women's Basketball title heats up. And we will chat with the reigning, defending NEC Women's Basketball Player of the Year, Mount St. Mary's grad student Kendall Brzee, who will be dropping by. But first, it's time to break out the old paper, if that's still a thing. And let's check out the NEC Women's Basketball Week 6 headlines. The biggest game this week in terms of the standings was Thursday night inside the Stratus Arena as the first place Fairleigh Dickinson Knights hosted second place St. Francis Brooklyn Terriers. That's right, one versus two in the standings. The Knights, who were shorthanded, they were playing without Chloe Wilson, who was the league's fifth leading scorer. They jumped out to a quick 8-0 lead in the first quarter, but Coach Sim, she called timeout, settled things down, regrouped the troops, and the Terriers rebounded and eventually took a 21-15 lead after the first 10 minutes, shooting 50% from the floor in the first quarter. Now, St. Francis would go on to lead by as many as 11 points in the second, but the Knights would get to trim that deficit to just one going into intermission. At the end of the third, there was a fun little sequence where Rachel Niles drained a triple from the right corner with about six seconds left, but that left just enough time for the Terriers to go down the floor with a couple quick passes and answer with a long three ball of their own by Esther Varga. Then the game came down to the final minutes. 2.44 to play. Isabella Posset hit a three off a dish from Dmitrievich, tying the game at 51. Then about 25 seconds later on the other end, Sierra D'Angelo untied it with a three ball for the Knights. The Terriers, they had some chances late. Kalia Edwards missed a three. Nev Dmitrievich, she was off on a layup and a three. And then Madison Stanley came up clutch, making a free throw with eight seconds left to open it up to a two-score game and seal the deal. The Knights tamed the Terriers, 55-51. Rachel Niles led the way for FDU with 20 points. Stanley finished with 18-8 and eight as the Knights improved to 10-1 and one in league play. And then on Saturday... FDU was back at it, defeating Central Connecticut State 72-35. to The 37-point margin of victory is tied with Merrimack Bryant back in late January for the largest margin of victory in a conference game this season. Now, the game besides the margin of victory was notable on two fronts. First came in the third quarter, Madison Stanley becoming the 19th player in FDU women's basketball history to reach 1,000 career points. And she did it on a nifty bucket from underneath the hoop. Second, the Knights honored the 30th anniversary of their 1992 NEC championship team at halftime. Several team members, including Fee Griffin, Megan Culkin, they were on hand for the special halftime ceremony. And as we've mentioned a couple times here on the show, I had a chance to speak with many members of this team and their head coach, Dr. Beverly, for a special feature that we have coming up in this year's NEC tournament program. So be sure to check that out. But it's been kind of cool to hear their story from 30 years ago in their run to the championship. And at the same time, see this current group of Knights and their story playing out before our very eyes. The present day Knights, they have won eight in a row and at 11 and one are off to their best league start in program history. 
In other milestone news, the league's leading scorer, Kendall Brzee, notched her 1,000th career point, split between her time at G-Dub and with the Mount. On Thursday night, she did it at Merrimack. The milestone was met on a free throw with 2.25 to go in the fourth quarter. Brzee led the Mount with 17 points on the evening on 5 for 10 shooting to lead the Mountaineers to a 68-58 win. Now make sure you're, you stay tuned. Kendall will be here with us to talk about her 1,000th point and plenty more as our special guest later on here in the show. Now some other standout performances to let you know about from this past week was LIU coming up with a huge road win in the pit center against Sacred Heart, 50-46. to 46. The game, that was decided at the stripe in the final moments. With Sacred Heart down two and just seconds left, Adrian Haygood went to the line for a pair but missed the first free throw. Then she tried to intentionally miss the second free throw but was called for a lane violation. Brandy Thomas on the other end, she made uh, five out of her six free throw attempts in the final two minutes, including the last two with a second to go to make it a two-score game and clinch the win for LIU. Also, we saw the Merrimack Warriors, the second highest scoring team in the NEC, with some impressive performances on Saturday in their win against SFU. Kate Major led the way with a 20-point night. Mason Kimball at 15, and junior guard Jamie DeCesare had one of her better games of the season, 10 points, 10 rebounds, and three assists. Now, in their last four games prior to Wednesday night's matchup, with Sacred Heart, the Warriors, they've gotten a lot of points because they've gotten out to fast starts. In the first quarter of the last four games prior to Wednesday against Sacred Heart, they're shooting 33 for 66, 54.5% in the first quarter, netting an average of 22 points per game. So let's check out the NEC standings and the updated playoff picture with two-thirds of the league schedule now complete. The FDU Knights as mentioned, they're off to their best NEC start in program history at 11-1 and through 12 conference games with six to go. The Knights have a three-game lead over St. Francis, Brooklyn, plus they swept the Terriers in both meetings this year, so FDU owns the head-to-head tiebreaker. Now, there's only one game on the schedule coming up this weekend, so mathematically, FDU can't clinch anything this week. But if they stretch their streak to nine straight in their game in Loretto, it could set up some regular season title clinching scenarios for them next week when they play Merrimack and Bryant. The Bryant game will be on ESPN3. Now, the Terriers in second place, they rebounded from their Thursday loss against the Knights with a huge win at Sacred Heart on Saturday to stay in sole possession of second. The Terriers have won eight of their last 10. Now, our two finalists from a year ago, they're currently tied for third at seven and five. St. Francis stands in fifth place at six and six. Now, after the Pioneers got the win on Wednesday against Merrimack in the makeup game from last week's postponement, Sacred Heart, Merrimack, and LIU are now in a three-way tie for sixth place with LIU having the tiebreaker advantage at the moment in that three-way tie scenario. Bryant, they're two games ahead of Central Connecticut for the right to host that eight versus nine game. So our playoff matchups, if the season ended today, would feature number one FDU hosting either Central Connecticut or Bryant. Number two, St. Francis Brooklyn would take on the seventh seed, which would be LIU. So we would still get a battle of Brooklyn first round matchup. Third seeded Wagner, who at the moment holds the head-to-head advantage over Mount St. Mary's. They play again on Thursday. So that head-to-head could very well change. But at the moment, Wagner is the three seed Sacred Heart is the six 
and Mount and St. Francis would be in the 4-5 matchup. Of course, we're handing out asterisks like Oprah. You get an asterisk. You get an asterisk. Everybody gets an asterisk. Everybody that's eligible, that is. And now it's all about seeding and positioning as we head down the stretch in the 2022 regular season. Time now to crown our three stars of the week for week number six of NEC play, starting with number three. It's FDU's Madison Stanley. Stanley was our top star each of the last two weeks, and she lands at number three this week after leading the Knights to a pair of victories against the Terriers and the Blue Devils while the Knights were playing without the services of the fifth leading scorer in the league, Chloe Wilson. Stanley picked things up. She led the way with 18 points, eight rebounds, and three assists to prevent the Terriers from creeping any closer in the standings. And then on Saturday, Maddie earned her 1,000th career point in front of family and friends at the Stratus Arena with a double-double, 13 points, 11 rebounds against the Blue Devils. She's currently fourth in the league in scoring and rebounding. And with a third of the season still to go, one of the top candidates for the 2022 NEC Player of the Year. Of course, this past week, Madison Stanley was also recognized by the NEC as the Player of the Week for a third straight week. At number two is Amelia Krista Grava from the Wagner Seahawks. Krista Grava, the Seahawks senior from Latvia, is back in the top three, and she was a co-player of the week this year in the NEC with Madison Stanley. Krista Grava is back in our top three, the number two star here this week. She had her highest scoring conference weekend of the year, 23 points, six rebounds against Central Connecticut, and then she followed up with 16 points, five rebounds against LIU. EKG has led her team in scoring seven times this year, but has picked it up as of late. She's currently in the top 10 in the Northeast Conference in points per game. And our number one star of the week is Kayla Agintovich from Mount St. Mary's. The sixth year grad student from the Mount is our number one star of the week. Agintovich has been around the old Emmitsburg campus so long. I think the administration is trying to give her tenure. Kayla scored 14 points and six rebounds against Merrimack and then followed that up with 17 points, seven rebounds, and three assists against the Bulldogs. But it's not just that. Her ball handling, boxing out on rebounding and free throws, the hustle plays. When she shoots the ball, she makes her shots at a high percentage. She's just playing phenomenal. This past weekend was the first time in her career that she's had back-to-back double-digit scoring games in conference play in the same weekend. Now, she's had back-to-back double-digit scoring games before, even in conference play, but never in the same weekend, the same 48-hour span. Kayla is averaging 9.2 points and 3.8 rebounds, her best scoring average since 10 points per game back in 2018. And this past weekend, she just crossed over the qualifying mark for the league leaderboard. So currently, she's leading the league in field goal percentage shooting at 54%. She's number one in three-point shooting at 49%. And she helped them out sweep the NEC's New England institutions this past weekend. Kayla Agintovich, our top star of week six. And keeping with the mount, we are now joined by our special guest this week, the reigning, defending NEC Women's Basketball Player of the Year, Mount St. Mary's grad student, Kendall Brzee, and her dog joining us there in the background. Kendall, (laughs) thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. Now, now you had a, a pretty stellar weekend yourself. You know, you had 13, 10, and four against Brian, and then 17 points, nine rebounds, five assists against Merrimack, a game that included your 1,000th career yeah. points. So, let, so let's start there because, you know, 1,000, that's a lot of points, and that, that brings up a lot of 
thoughts and reflections on the journey to get there. So when you reflect on the journey to get there, what are some of the things that stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, what a journey it's been. You know, I started at a school that um, I thought I was going to be at for all four years, and then I ended up here at the mound. And looking back, this is my fifth year actually playing, and it's been a journey, but I'm so grateful for it. And um, my thousand point, it was amazing. It was an amazing day, and I couldn't have done it with a better coach and a better team. So I'm super excited and grateful for that. And it came at the end of that game on a free throw. Now, when you went to the free throw line, did you know where you were? Did you know you were one away? I had no idea. I mean, (laughs) I had no idea that I was going to get it um, that game. I honestly didn't even know how many points I needed. The only reason, like, I knew is, like, I checked my phone after my game. And then, of course, my whole family, like, was texting me because I think the announcers, like, talked about it. So that was, like, the only really reason I knew. Now, big weekend for herself, as we mentioned, but Isabella Hunt had a double-double against Bryant. She had a big weekend. Kayla Agintovich, she was our top star of the week here on our show. (laughs) A player like yourself coming back for an extra year. And, you know, having Kayla back and and her experience and her leadership on and off the court, what has that meant to the team? Yeah, it was was crazy. So after last year, we were like in – me and Keeks were in the room, Kayla, and we were like – are you going to stay another year? Are we going to do it? If you stay, I stay like we were going back and forth. So having her back has been amazing. Like you said, she's a leader and she's been at the mount for six years and she knows all the ins and outs and she's a great leader on and off the court. So just having her there with me has been amazing. And like you said, as Isabella Hunt had a great week and I'm so proud of her because, you know, she's been tough on herself and it's been a tough road. We have some great posts in this league and she's young. She's only a sophomore, but she's, um, I think she's finally finding her footing. So I'm so proud of her. Now, after the opening conference weekend back in December, the team kind of had to dig themselves out of a a two-game pandemic hole, but you've won seven out of 10 since. So, you know, what's going to be the key for for you and for your team over these last six games, starting with Wagner on Thursday, to kind of put yourself in the best position to be there cutting down the nets again at the end of March? I mean, I think this is the time of the year where, you know, days get long and weeks are even longer. So it's just staying focused, continuing to get in the gym and being focused every day at practice and focusing on what we need to work on. And on top of that, just getting into the gym individually um, and putting in extra work and getting up extra shots and getting in extra film and doing all that. So just staying focused and really staying together. And I think, you know, that that's going to help us quite a bit. Now, the NEC women's basketball family, I know, has been following you and your family uh, all year long with your younger sister, Ella's fight with cancer. And Grace Grill recently did an incredible feature with you and Ella and your family. If anyone out there hasn't seen it, I encourage you to go (laughs) check it out. But you kind of addressed it in that piece. Uh, How have you managed to, to compartmentalize and switch from family mode to basketball mode and back and forth during this, yeah. this crazy time. Um, it hit, this has been probably like one of the hardest years of my life trying to do that. And I say that with my little sister, obviously going through cancer. So it's obviously been the hardest year of her life. Um, but just trying to like separate my time and really separate my feelings. I think that's hard for anyone to do, but um, like I said in the video, like I'll get my younger sister calling and being emotional and then me just trying to like having to figure out like, okay, like, I, you know, I knew what I was getting myself into this year. I knew what I needed to do and I knew what role I was going to have on this team. So I was like, I can't be selfish and let my teammates down. So it's like, I'll take the call, but then I'll go to practice for my two hours and I'll leave the feelings that I have off the court the best I can and just, and do what I have to do on the court. And then right after I'll either, either drive home. Luckily I'm in a position where I'm only 40 minutes away from home, which has been phenomenal. Um, so every off day I'll go, go home and spend my days with them. So it's just balance. Um, I wasn't too good at it in the summer in the beginning of the year, but I think I've um, gotten better at, at it. And luckily Ella's been able to come to every game and she'll be traveling 
traveling to Brooklyn. So it's been, it's been a blessing in disguise being home and being able to see them and just, you know, I, I've worked on balancing more than I ever knew I had to this year, especially. <laughs> well, I, like you said, it's, it's been awesome seeing her out there at games and, and, and hopefully continued good news and positive energy going forward with, with Ella and, and with you and your family. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, now, switching gears a little bit to wrap things up, we, we have, uh, you know, get to know, we have some five quick questions for you, Kendall. So the first thing that comes to mind, just let it out. All right. Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> Ready. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite show to binge? How to Get Away with Murder. Okay. Uh, what is one thing that you cannot live without? My phone. Is that terrible? <laughs> that's, that's excellent. Phone I think and family. <laughs> that too. Absolutely. <laughs> what is a pregame superstition of yours? I'm like probably the most superstitious person you'll ever meet. And to a fault, I literally have to do the same thing every game. Like, so it's, um, we have our pregame. I have to sit in the same spot for my pregame meal next to the same people. Um, I have to shoot or, and then I have to go straight to my trainer. We do our little thing. And then, we pray. So I have to hold the same person's hand that I pray with every single time. It's just same, like undergarments for every game. Um, every superstition you could think of. I do. <laughs> now, if we took a survey of your teammates, what is one trait or adjective that you think they would use to describe you? Ooh, loud, outgoing, competitive, <laughs> probably competitive. And, and speaking about that, the last question is about the, the big game, the Super Bowl coming up this weekend. We need your pick. Bengals, Rams, who are you going with? Bengals. Okay. Now, <laughs> it, it, bonus question, sidebar on that. If if you're throwing a Super Bowl party, what is one must-have snack that you would have? Buffalo chicken dip. Got to be. Okay. Got to be so, buffalo chicken dip. So, so you heard Ke out there, Kendall's throwing a Super Bowl party. She's bringing the buffalo <laughs> chicken on, dip. Come on over. I'll have enough for everyone. <laughs> Kendall, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you Thursday night, Mount St. Mary's and Wagner, and, and best of luck the rest of the way. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That's Kendall Brzee, our special guest here on NEC Women's Basketball on the Run. It's time for Stats Amazing, and today we're talking home court advantage. HCE, for short, is always a hot topic, especially this time of year as teams jockey to be in the top four and earn that all-important first-round home playoff game in the NEC tournament. You also have teams trying to claim the regular season championship to potentially earn HCA throughout the entire tournament and even this year it's unique because even at the bottom of the standings the number eight seed is looking to have the home court advantage over the number nine seed but this year in conference play so far believe it or not the road teams have actually been the ones with the advantage home teams are only 22 and 26 in conference play and there's only three conference teams who have a winning league record on their home court. One is FDU, which shouldn't be a surprise. One is SFU, but the other, how about the Bryant Bulldogs? Bryant, they should be petitioning the league to hold all their games in the Chase Center. They're four and two on their home court compared to 0 and six on the road. They average 60.3 points and shoot over 40% at home while dropping six points less on their scoring average and three points less on their shooting average when they have to hop in the bus and take the show on the road. Now, FDU, they are in the running, as we mentioned earlier, to potentially have the entire road to the 2022 NEC Women's Basketball Championship go through their home court in Hackensack 
where they are 5-0 and this season. They're shooting nearly 43% from the floor on their home floor, winning games by an average margin of victory. Get this, 17.6 points per game at home. Very comfortable in, in, on their home court. And as for St. Francis, they average three points more at home than on the road. So while protecting home court has been relatively a challenge or at best 50-50 this year in, in, in the NEC, this crazy league that we all love, not so much for these three teams. Bryant, FDU, SFU, three teams with winning conference records on their home court. And we'll see if they can keep it going and potentially secure some home playoff games as NEC 22 draws closer. Only one game on tap for each team this week. The action gets started on Thursday night with a championship game rematch as Wagner makes a return trip to Emmitsburg, Maryland for the first time since last March to play them out. Mount St. Mary's came away with a decisive 70-38 to 38 win in last year's final to claim their fourth tournament title and first since 1995. This year, they were scheduled to meet on New Year's Eve on Staten Island as part of the league's opening conference weekend, but Mount ended up having to forfeit that game to the Seahawks, and they've been trying to dig themselves out of that early season hole ever since. But as we talked with Kendall earlier, they have done just that. They've won seven of their last 10, and they feature the top scoring offense in the league. Now, Wagner started 4-0. They went on that immediate slide, but since then, they've won three straight and three out of their last four, and they have the number two scoring and the number two field goal percentage defense so hot offense versus very stingy defense and the key could come from the perimeter as the mount shoots the three at a league leading 37 percent clip with many different options that can shoot the three ball while the seahawks three-point field goal percentage defense is top 10 in the nation we'll see what wins out on thursday night in not arena on friday four games are on the schedule including the 29th annual Battle of Brooklyn between St. Francis Brooklyn and LIU. The Terriers lead the all-time Battle of Brooklyn series 15-13 and have won the last five battles in a row and eight out of the last nine. LIU hasn't won in this series since 65-62 in overtime back in 2016. Nev Dimitrievich has dominated this series, winning MVP in each of her first two career Battle of Brooklyn games. 14 points, nine rebounds, 15 assists back in 2020, and then 20 points, five rebounds, six assists a year ago. Now, Neb was shaken up at the end of the game Saturday against Sacred Heart, but if she's healthy and good to go, and she goes off again in Brooklyn uh, this weekend against the Sharks, she would join LIU's Tamika Dudley as the only three-time MVP in series history. Now, the Terriers won the unofficial battle earlier this year at LIU, 59-53. Kalea Edwards had 17 points, and Amaya O'Brien for LIU made quite the first impression, netting 16. We should also note that while no plans have been made official, this could very well be the final battle between these two rivals inside the Daniel Lynch gym on Remsen Street in Brooklyn Heights. In other action, the Knights will put their win streak on the line in Loretto against the Red Flash, who are back at home after playing their last three straight and five out of their last six on the road. And we talked earlier, the Red Flash, one of the better home teams in the league this year. Merrimack will visit Central Connecticut State, and the Pioneers will battle the Bulldogs. This game could be huge for NEC tournament seating and positioning 
down the road. Of course, all games will be available on NEC Front Row and the NEC On The Run app. That'll do it for this week. I'm Craig D'Amico, and we'll see you right back here, as always, next week for another brand new edition of NEC Women's Basketball On The Run.